The Dime is sponsored by ETH Revolution. The cannabis industry has unique challenges, which means you need a multifaceted partner to help you navigate the landscape. ETH Revolution has a team of experienced science and business experts to provide a unique analytical approach, providing services from capital to cannabinoid and everything in between. This is The Dime. Dive into the cannabis and hemp industry through trends, insights, predictions, and tangents. What's up, guys? Welcome back to The Dime. As always, I've got my right-hand man, Kellen Finney, here with me. And this week, we've got a very special guest, Jason Malcolm, Principal of Arcview Management Consulting. Jason, thanks for taking the time. How are you doing today? Doing great. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, we're looking forward to diving into these items today. Kellen, how are you doing? Doing good. Just uh, enjoying the rain here in Colorado. We need it. Don't bring that negativity around here. So, Jason, before <laughs> we get started... Can you tell our listeners a little bit about your background? Yeah, certainly. So like most people in cannabis, I come from a very different background. I spent the last 15 plus years in financial services, mainly management consulting. Uh, I worked for the big four, EY, KPMG, well, a bearing point, which is KPMG advisory spinoff, FIS, which is a large fintech company, as well as some small boutique consulting firms. And my focus was risk management, process improvement for those years. You know, I think like most in certain industries, you kind of get to a point where you say to yourself, whatever I see myself in five to 10 years, um, is banking really where I want to be? Is risk where it was 10 years ago? Uh, it's not so much as exciting as, as it used to be. And you know, I kind of said to myself, let me try, try something that is completely uncertain, challenging industry. And you know, the view looking forward is always blurry and it's never really clear. And I said, you know what? Let's, let's dive into cannabis and let's see how I do. So uh, I wound up getting a phone call from a former client of mine slash friend who introduced me to Arcview, uh, Arcview Group, and uh, and I came on board, and I'm loving it every minute of it. It's been about eight months. I'm excited to kind of dive into some of those areas, but to kind of follow up with there, was there a single moment you realized, I'm going to go for cannabis? I feel like in everyone's journey, they're always wavering these decisions, and like you said, and then there has to be some defining moment that says, I think it's cannabis. You know, it's funny because I remember conversations. So I'm born and raised in Staten Island, New York. So I'm a New Yorker. I lived there for 27 years. Uh, I defected to New Jersey and uh, I've been in the same spot since then. Uh, But uh, I remember talking to my friends in high school about cannabis legalization. I kid you not. Like there was a one day this is going to happen. And I'm like, I don't don't really know if that's going to happen. I was like, but sure, why not? Let's say. And over the years, you know, you slowly see it taking form and maturing uh, and evolving into what it is today. And I think the mature market in Colorado is really interesting and so sophisticated that it has to spark. It really sparks anybody's interest that are, that are into any type of new markets or emerging markets. And I think that's what really put cannabis on the map for me. And, and I just kind of followed it, all the legalization and cannabis reforms from all these states that have legalized it for adult use, even medical at this point. And it's always been a back burner. And throughout my career, I said to myself, you know, I never really saw myself hanging my, my head up in financial services. So I always said to myself, I, had, I need to look for the next best thing. What would the next best thing look like? Is it diving into a technology? Right? Payments are a huge industry right now at best. Is it the payment industry? Is it completely getting out of financial services and starting something completely different? And the interesting part about Arcview Management Consulting, obviously it's a consultant shop, 
professional services, right? We sell our people, we sell our skill sets. And the framework and consulting is pretty much universal when it comes down to strategy or tactical for that matter between banking and cannabis. It's very, very similar. What's different, obviously, is the, the products and the topics, but that's obviously the, that come over time. But in any event, I saw this as a great opportunity for myself. One, I have the as difficult if I was to make it. I'll just have to learn about the product itself. And let's face it, the industry is really exciting. There's a lot of things happening in this space that really perks up everyone's eyes and ears, even though you're not a cannabis enthusiast. You don't have to be, right? There's a lot of people that are saying, oh, I suffer from anxiety. I've suffered from depression. Maybe I'll take these CBD gummies from XYZ dispensary that has a little THC in it, right? And they get hooked on it. And so I know some of these people, they go to the doctors and the doctors are like, what if it's working? Whatever it is, just do it, right? As long as it doesn't, it's not unhealthy or harmful for you. And I just thought it was a perfect fit. You know, between, remember those discussions when you're young in high school, I'm a true believer of what comes around goes around. It's, you know, life is a full circle. Between my experience in management consulting and kind of bringing it over to opportunity space in cannabis and then cannabis being what it is, a very interesting space to explore and to operate in. So let's kind of explore that, right? It's it's an exploding industry. And like you said, there's there's massive opportunities across the board. And, and like you were saying, specifically here on the East Coast. So take us through kind of like what a day in the life is like for you and the type of projects and the type of conversations you're having with clients in the space. I mean, it, there's no common theme, I guess, what I'm about to dive into. Uh, all of our clients have really interesting ideas and a lot of them share some similarities and a lot of don't. But what we're seeing a lot of today is obviously right now, I'll start off with the licensing strategy, competitive markets, right? New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, these are all new markets. These are big, big markets. It's the tri-state, let's face it, right? New Jersey's making great progress. They're, 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 they're full steam ahead. I think they're coming out or with the finalizing their rules pretty soon, right? New York, uh, on the other hand, not as put together as New Jersey at the moment. Obviously, FOMO and that whole debacle has a few hiccups in the process, but we do see some a light at the end of the tunnel there as well. And Connecticut, which is something fairly new. We've seen a lot of interest for our clients operating in one of the three markets or possibly two out of the three markets. So we are helping them. We teamed up with Cannabis Capital Group for our licensing strategy. And we are talking to a lot of those folks in cultivation, manufacturing, retail, as well as distribution licenses for each one of those states. In addition to that, being that all these new states are kind of, you know, reforming or I should say launching <coughs> cannabis programs, we are seeing a great deal of interest in existing operators and expanding their footprint within the country to multiple states. So a lot of what we're dealing right now is assessing which states make the most sense for their products? So in other words, if they're a pre-rolled product, what states have the greatest market share of pre-rolls, right? So right now, I think it's Massachusetts for that matter. California is a big market for that. Washington, Nevada, of course, Colorado, they're always in the mix. What's the strategy? What's the cost for that, right? And then what makes the most sense for them for like a three to five year roadmap? So we, we have a lot of interest in state-by-state expansions. That applies to early operators and mature operators. Right. And then we also see a lot of interest in starting new operations and new, not new techniques, but very challenging techniques to make themselves unique in the market. So tissue culture, for example, is something not a lot of people do. Uh, it's a very complex process, but we're working with somebody in Oklahoma on how that could possibly, how they should be able to launch 
their operation within a state that's pretty saturated in terms of cultivation, retail, processing, licensees, right? Um, but what does that look like and how can they can make themselves competitive within that market? Um, and what would the infrastructure look like? What would the building look like, right? How much would it be for land, right? Trying to piece all the kind of pieces together in the puzzle so that they can actually go out and grab investors. Additionally, we've seen a, a huge demand in investor decks, right? And roadmaps to for a you know high-level strategy of what they'll look like over the next you know one to two years. Um, and a lot of people, you know, they have a business and then that they've never really taken a step back has been so focused on strategy and operations, right? And growing their business. They've never really taken a step back and say, okay, how much is my business actually worth? And, you know, I really want to raise my money because I want to grow faster. I want to scale faster, but I can't do that unless I have some type of valuation of my business. So license valuations or valuations of the business itself, as well as the investor deck to really get them prepared to socialize their business strategy and model to potential investors, whether that's friends, family, or VCs. Um, you know, that's a, that's a fair mix of what we are operating or how we're operating in the space. So I want to kind of take one of the, the items you said and kind of go to Kellen on this one. Kellen, from a license standpoint, from the East Coast, obviously people are, are getting more and more interested in being in the space and they're interested in dabbling into, is it is now the right time for a license or should I wait for the rules and the legislation to move forward? And, and how do we handle that conversation? What do you normally tell clients who come to us and say, hey, I'm interested in being in the East Coast. When is the right time? The East Coast is going to be a very interesting market, in my opinion. I think that it's going to cost a lot of money to play that game, right? I mean, it's a mass. The, the tri-state is massive. There's you have all of the financial headquarters of the world in New York, right? So, like these are the biggest of the biggest players are having have the same exact ideas, and so it really depends on the client, right? If it's like a couple friends who are just trying to start a small cannabis company and they're excited about weed and they're like, hey, I know there's a lot of people that live in New York. I was going to go after a license in New York. Then we tend to kind of try to advise them to, to maybe look at other markets as a starting point, just because New York's been taking notes. New Jersey, they, they, there's some smart people in those states. They've been taking notes. They've seen how the Colorado market played out. They've seen how the California market played out. They've watched all of these other states come online. And they, they have a, a roadmap for how they're going to execute this. And the individuals that are probably drafting a lot of the regulations are probably going to have a, a piece of who ends up getting the licenses. And there's nothing wrong with that, I guess, right? But it is going to be limited license estates, right? And so there's going to be very, very high level competition to obtain one of those licenses in those three states because of the potential windfall if you get a license. I mean, look at Florida. They're just... People are selling paper in Florida for $50 million just for the right to, to participate in, in the quote-unquote limited market, right? And so it really depends on the client, right? If they're a, a large operator who's got experience in another state and they're looking to become part of the MSO gang, then I say, go for it, right? Then you probably have the firepower and the capital or at least access to the capital to bring on consulting firms and lawyers and all the right pieces to at least have... a a competitive shot at obtaining one of those licenses, but it's going to be tough, right? Like there's probably, I think there's five licenses that are probably going to be released in New York, right? Is, is that correct from my last reading? I think it's something super limited. And I always it's, refer to it as like the, the golden ticket from Willy Wonka, right? If you win yeah. one of those, you're provided an opportunity that is is literally life-changing. And I think what you said, Kellen, is really important too. From like a geographical location, 
East Coast has so many cluster states in that in that small little region. So you don't have to be in all of the states. So you can kind of handpick the, the strategic locations you want to be in. And if you don't get opportunities in New York and New Jersey, being in one of those surrounding areas maybe is not ideal initially, but should be more of a conceptual thought process because the titans you're fighting with are the biggest of the biggest. I have a question for Jason. How similar are the license structures in Connecticut, New Jersey, and New York? Are they all going to be very similar? Or are they going to be drastically different? Like, Because in Washington, you're not allowed to be completely vertically integrated, right? You're not allowed to have a dispensary and a cultivation. But in Colorado, they kind of encourage that. Do you want to kind of uh, talk our listeners through how that structure is going to work in those three states? Yeah, so um, they're all very, well, all very different. Um, New York being the most different one out of out of the three. So New York, if you have a, if you apply for a cultivation license, you can also apply for a processing and distribution license. And that processing and distribution center could be multiple locations. It doesn't, doesn't have to be the same location, but you are able to be vertically integrated from that perspective. There's also a micro business that you could apply for, which gives you you know limited canopy space on cultivation, processing, dispensary, and re, uh, retailing or dispensing of your own products. There's a cooperative license that operates a little very similar, but a little different. So you can vertically integrate in New York. The only thing is if you own a retail, if you apply for a retail license, right, you can't have any other interests in, I think, cultivation, dispense, uh, distribution, and uh, processing. So they do restrict you there. However, in New Jersey, I believe, they are, and the rules are coming out in a couple of days now, I believe they are restricting vertical integration for the first 18 months. And Connecticut, it's very similar. I don't think there's vertical integration that's going to be allowed. It is permitted under the medical marijuana program in Connecticut, but for the adult use program, uh, as right now, it's prohibited. This is the crazy part too, is that like in state to state, all the rules change, which means you need to make sure when you are submitting those efforts, unless you've got yourself a wide ranging team that is deep yeah. with pockets. I mean, you need to take strategic approaches because it's expensive, right? I think one of the conversations we have all the time, especially with, with current operators is just the sheer cost going forward. Just to enter. Just to enter, right? Just as the chance to play the game. But at the end of the day, right, like what you're playing for is literally a golden ticket for an opportunity to to have a, a massive piece of the puzzle as it starts yeah. to come online. So we we talk to a lot of big law firms that their clients come to them and they say, I'm interested in opening up a you know a cannabis business. I want to be a cannabis operator. And like I want to know about I want to know about lobbying capabilities as well. Like before they even understand the process. They're already throwing money at lobbying capabilities, right? Lobbying functions. So there's going to be a lot of people that are going to have, you know, a bundle of cash, like Floyd Mayweather walks around in his, in his private jet with <laughs> that see on Instagram all the time. And they're going to be, they're going to want to uh, pay up for it to get the, the best chance possible to get that license awarded. Now, Someone could say and take, you know, give New York the benefit of doubt and say, well, New York, you know, they, they're not first to the line, they're not last, they're kind of in the middle. So maybe they will take lessons learned from other states, right? Um, and kind of try to perfect the process where they really want to focus on social equity and be true to those statements and be true to that, that community that's been, you know, hampered on the war on drugs and everything else. So if that's the case, then that's great. Right now it's all about your story and about your team. And that's, that's more of an interesting uh, approach in my opinion. And that's kind of 
uh, we're helping some of our clients craft that story and develop those teams. And in some cases, some of our clients are working with social equity consultants, which I think is a really good idea as well. So they really fully understand what that looks and feels like from an application perspective. Helen, for our listeners who are just maybe not able to visually understand the complexity of some of these licenses, can you kind of take us through just the sheer size of what these documents look like? Yeah, I mean, we have a client in Florida and that's part of our due diligence process. I went through and I read a lot of the license applications in Florida that were submitted from 2015 to 2017. And I mean, it is incredible the amount of information that they were able to accumulate into, <laughs> into a license application. I mean, some of them I think are like 500 pages long. Yeah. And they have like a dozen individuals with resumes that are just eye popping in terms of some of the experiences that they're bringing to the table. And I mean, you got to remember that they in Florida, the way it played out is they they only awarded a specific number of licenses. And then this a lot of these companies went and actually sued the state of Florida to have more licenses released. But and it makes sense because they spent a ton of money putting these applications together and they got individuals that are just phenomenal in terms of their, their background and experience. And for instance, in terms of the, the manufacturing portion, they were pulling people that ran massive manufacturing facilities for like Pepsi or Coca-Cola or really, really well respected brands and were willing to jump over and they weren't awarded a license. And so the complexity associated with even putting together an application. I mean, it's a year-long process. And you have to pay all of these individuals to bring all of these unique skill sets to the table. Because most of the time, like Jason said, you want to go for a vertically integrated application. right? And in order to do that, you need to bring in multiple people who are experts at cultivating. right? You're talking horticulturists. You're talking managers. You need to bring in people that are experts at Extraction from a, from a chemistry perspective, right? You need to bring in people that are absolutely experts at testing in terms of in-house analytics. You need to bring an entire retail team together, right? And managing the real estate, setting all of this up from a CGMP, common good manufacturing practice perspective, right? And then you need doctors to be able to, to evaluate the products because it is a medical market, right? So it's insane the quantity of highly skilled individuals that need to be brought together to even have a shot at getting one of these golden tickets. What I'm hearing is that the uphill battle is not really worth it, right? And that it's not really worth entering the space from a licensing standpoint. Is there additional outlets or ways into the cannabis space if you aren't afforded, let's say, a deep-pocketed opportunity where you have an extensive team and you're looking to get into this? Yeah, I mean, there's we're talking the hardest markets to get into, right? Like Florida, 20 million people live there. If you're trying to capture a market share, and there's only a limited number of operators, and there's 20 million people, it's a bigger windfall for you, if you will, right? Versus New Mexico, not not nearly as many people live in New Mexico. You can go out and get a micro license if you've never grown cannabis, where you can be completely vertically integrated. You're managing significantly less people, significantly less canopy, right? And you don't need a massive team, and you can go apply for a license without nearly as much capital. Yeah, the upside isn't as well as as great as trying to just enter one of these massive markets, but you can still get your feet wet. I, Oklahoma, they're just handing out licenses left and right in Oklahoma, right? I mean, there's states that you can go get a license. It's just there's not the market opportunity that you see in the tri-states or, or Florida or, or California, for, in, for that matter. You know what I mean? So there is lower hanging fruit in terms of like 
trying to be an operator in the cannabis space. You know what I mean? Like right now we're just discussing the the hardest markets to get into. And, and I do want to say, I do want to correct myself because uh, Kellen uh, just said something that reminded me of my comment on New Jersey. New Jersey does allow for a micro business. So they, but it's not like you can't have a cultivation and a retail operation. You have a micro business in that case. So I just want to clarify that. <laughs> I, think, I think this kind of goes into like the complexity of going forward and understanding like strategically which location you want to attack. So I guess then to kind of come back to you, Jason. So when operators come to you in the space, obviously you have to do some due diligence first and kind of get the pulse of the room. Are they experienced? Do they have deep pockets, right? If a group comes to you and says, Jason, we, we're going for New York. You're, you're going to have to kind of assess them and be like, hey guys, like I don't mean to be the bearer of bad news, but maybe we should take a couple miles to the left and go to this state or this state. So how do you kind of take that conversation and then kind of provide them, you know, strategic feedback on helping them best position to succeed? It, it's really, it's a tough conversation to have because you kind of just tell them a lot of bad news up front, right? And you, you have to be obviously very transparent with the clients and, and you kind of talk to them about, I think you have a great idea that you want to open up a, a retail operation in Brooklyn, New York. That's fantastic. But you know, what we tell our clients that you have about a million to a million five in capital sitting on the sidelines ready to be deployed because the states don't want to see some significant amount of capital on the application, at least in a bank account or an escrow, so that they have every confidence in you that you could launch this operation successfully and not kind of fold in the first six months. And then you have the location side of things, right? So it's like you have to you have to confirm a location, and locations in New York are not cheap to buy or to, or to rent, right? So now you have that hurdle. And then to to Kellen's point, I mean, these applications—I don't know if New York sort of limit the exhibits, the amount of pages per exhibit, uh, like some other states did—but you know, you're looking at hundreds of pages that you're going to be submitting, and the consultants that you want to have on staff to help you if you do want that as well as putting together a couple hundred K for the licensing fee, whatever the licensing fee is going to be in New York, right? In medical, I think there was like 200 and change. So if you don't have access to capital, it's going to be very, very difficult for you to to operate in this business. And that's kind of where I start my conversation, which I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but it's very straightforward and to the point. And it gives everyone a really nice overview, whether it's negative or positive, of what they're about to get themselves into. A lot of people love the idea of cannabis and love the idea of operating within the cannabis industry, but they also have the false impression that they think cannabis is a get-rich-quick scheme because they hear all these great stories. And it's the complete opposite of that. It's very difficult to operate within this space, right? It's still considered a Schedule One drug. So even though states tolerate it and have rules and regulations around operating within each one of these states, you know, the big guy on top is still kind of saying traditional financing, no thank you, it's not gonna happen. Oh wait, you want to get taxed? Yes. Well we don't we're gonna apply 280E and really prevent you from running off any type of business expenses and really give you a hard time in operating your business and cut into your margins. You know, so it's a difficult conversation to have, but you know, a lot of people take it either way, right? So they're like, they get really discouraged. 
or they say, you know what? I think I have a really great story. I'm going to go for this, and we're going to we're going to work with you on the strategy. I want to go out. And I'm going to. I have a couple of friends and family that I think could help me with this. And there's other means of capital too that you could explore. Obviously, you know some of these capital firms like Arthur Capital, for instance. You know we have crowdfunding platforms that you could possibly launch on plan touching and non plan touching companies, as well as you know obviously if there's a there's a big ask and a, and a big need, there's something that we could actually float to VCs or other investors, then we have those routes as well. But that's complementary algorithm that we have is you know, capital is our investment banker, pretty much our FMR-based broker, licensed broker dealer. Ventures is a member-based managed fund that you know deploys capital to early operators with large opportunity than the other consulting side. So we're well equipped to handle all of those answers to all of those challenges, but it's really up to the to, to the client to really you know make that move and Let's face it; it's it's a it's a difficult industry to to operate and launch, and nothing is guaranteed. That's the other thing. Yeah, and I think what you said about the mindset is so important too, because if you're going to go on to get deterred early on in the process of all of these obstacles, you'll never make it in the space. Because unfortunately, in cannabis, there's all these additional obstacles, and while we all can agree until we're blue in the face that they're silly and ridiculous, it's the way the game is played, and everyone has to deal with it. And it's not our decision that that federal legislation is like this or that the rules are like this. This is just how the space is. And I think it goes back to understanding when you do make that commitment with a resource like yourself, Jason, like with ArcView, you're looking for a strategic partner to help you every step of the way because you're going to run into these ridiculous obstacles time in and time out. And you have to have the right partner to help you get through all those and I think that's one of the important conversations I don't think are understood enough for some of the operators in the space is that Consultancy, sure, has some sort of bad stigma sometimes attached to it. But at the end of the day, the type of resource and the value that your firm firm brings to the table is almost unparalleled to the type of need that exists between these operations and these these challenges. Yeah, I completely agree. It's important to have someone to help you, one, craft that story and know what these state representatives are looking for because we've done it before in other states. And two, you want somebody to really have their eyes and ears to the ground to adjust and amend for any type of last minute changes, which does happen. Let's face it, right? It always happens within each one of these states. So that's those are definitely some of the benefits. I think the big question here is, will this operate or function the same way when the Fed legalizes cannabis? Would it be as complex? Would it be easier? I don't know the question to that. And, and it's funny, it's, it's, it's interesting. Whatever, what happens to 280E? Does that still exist if the Fed legalizes cannabis at the national level? I think it's going to miss out on a lot of tax dollars. I so think how would they replicate that? They'll find a very I hope different so. way. I think they like their money. And, and I, I think it does get removed. Obviously, I would want to consult with someone as a professional. But I think no. it does get removed because I think it was based on... I think uh, Neil was telling us how it was based on a ridiculous story of how a drug dealer kind of was writing off his business expenses. And they were like, okay, you win this time, but no one else is going to win. <laughs> right. Uh, good for that judge for kind of person ruined it all. No, yeah, but, uh, <laughs> so let's con- let's continue on the tri-state with yeah. Como out. I'm going to butcher her name. Kathy Holchel is in. Is that good for New York? Obviously, we're kind of not doing so well right now. I don't want to speak ill will about my home state, but we're not doing so great. New Jersey's chugging along. They're getting things through. They're they're looking at early 2022. And for New York, I mean, I don't even know how how far we've gotten. 
well, we have to appoint someone to 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 lead the program. That's that's the starting point, right? That's the bottleneck. There was a favorite in mind, but he no longer seems to be the front runner. And look, you know, I I think it's for a lot of people that are uh, follow the New York program or that are engaged in any type of New York politics. Um, I think it was very clear that Governor Cuomo's priority was not cannabis. It was everything but that. And I think cannabis came along in the conversations because of COVID, the loss of all that tax revenue from the city, tourism and everything else, right? So I think that was an easy way to fill in that gap. Now, with that being said, there's really very little that's been done in the program. Our, you know, one of our own has been, our legal counsel has been tagged as one of the candidates for a lead role within the organization. I'm not sure if it's the executive director role, but it might be a subdirector role. And he's pretty close to, to those conversations. And I, I think New York will be favoring or leaning t- towards a someone uh, of color or a, a woman uh, executive director. And, and I think the latter might make sense, you know, if you want to have a you know political spin on it, which I'm sure you know, every politician uh, or especially in New York would like to have, given everything that happened with Cuomo. And, but once that person is appointed, then things can start to move. And let's not forget, right, New York slated, they, they already budgeted some cannabis revenue in their 2022 budget. And it's in their best interest to move forward as quick as possible. And I'm going to kind of end it here with this, you know, I kind of icing on the cake thing. But for her, this is a quick and big win. So if she wants to pursue politics after this, if she wants to run for the governor of New York, this could be one of um, in her tool belt to say, hey, I have done this. Right? This was lagging for months under my predecessor, but it was me who brought it to the table. It was me who brought it to the market. And I think that will go over very well, especially in a lot of communities in New York. Yeah, it's a it's an easy layup for her, and I'm you know hopeful that things move fast. But I'm going to ask you this question, Jason, because I think the one thing that makes things move faster than anything is money. And if New yeah. Jersey comes online, let's say early 2022, and New yeah. York is still just playing in the mud, I mean, there has to be some spreadsheet. And Kellen's favorite way is just multiplying the number and just watching the spreadsheet just shoot up. I mean, there has to be just an insane amount of revenue that is going to be crossing over the bridge into New Jersey because people from New York want cannabis. And if they can drive 15 minutes, but realistically, probably 50 crossing there to get cannabis, they'll do it. And I wonder when and how fast they move, because I think as soon as New Jersey announces a date, it's no longer an an if, it's it's a really fast clap. So you think that'll help make New York get their stuff together? Probably. I mean, I was kind of hoping that the markets, New York and New Jersey kind of go online together to avoid that, right? It's really important that the markets are so close to each other and with such easy access, right? Uh, it's really important to not over-enforce, not over-tax one over the other, kind of have a standardized format so that you're really not competing, right? It's kind of more about convenience more than price. Sure. And obviously that's not the case. I think New Jersey is going to see a huge... Yeah. Influx of New Yorkers and New Jerseyans come in, um, you know, mature smokers and very early on, you know, uh, ex- you know, want to experience cannabis in some way or some form, most likely discreetly. They're all going to be flooding to New Jersey for that reason. And let's face it, people are already driving to Great Barrington in Massachusetts from New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut to acquire to purchase a. 
tested, regulated product from a state so they could feel safe in consuming for whatever reason to have more to consume. So I think New Jersey is going to have a nice big pop. I'll be interested. I'll be really interested to see if there's any impact on Massachusetts uh, program, right? When both states are up and running, especially when Connecticut is running. I don't, I don't know if it will. I had this conversation with my buddies quite a bit, but it'll be interesting to see how they all operate with each other. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the original intention was to try to do some sort of tri-state agreement, but obviously we're not doing so great there. So let's kind of switch. <laughs> we're switch gears. The biggest misconception since you've yeah. been in the cannabis space. I didn't expect, I knew it was going to be challenging because of well, everything we just discussed, the uncertainty, right? The challenges, the taxation, all that stuff. But as you talk to a lot of your clients or prospects for that matter, and they really share with you some of the burdens and some of the challenges that I, I did not expect that side of the story. I mean, a lot of these cases, a lot of a lot of operators open and close within 12 months because they just can't they don't have the means to capital and to burn over the first six to nine months of operations. And you know that's something that I didn't really think too much about when I entered this market. I thought big picture. I thought opportunity. I thought states are going to be signing their cannabis programs and they're going to be turning into adult use. And it's going to happen across the whole eastern seaboard, you know, all that stuff, right? So I was thinking like, very optimistic, but I, I didn't think about the challenges. And I didn't know about 280E when I walked into this business either, right? So I think that was the biggest misconception is, is really understanding the true hurdles that these operators are, are faced with. And, it, and look, it's let's face it, in some cases, someone that's truly capitalized or, or have a fantastic location um, and a lot of foot traffic didn't really deal with these hurdles as much as the others. But there's a lot of people that don't have that. And uh, look, without capital, you're not going to be able to survive or operate within the cannabis space, right? From privately, friends, family, or VCs, et cetera. And then you also can hire professional services to help you with your strategy, right? You know, that, I think that's the, that's the biggest misconception that I knew somewhat about when I walked into this, but not, I didn't fully understand, understood it until I experienced it myself. That's really well said. You could sum up your experience into a main takeaway or lesson learned to pass onto the next generation. What would that be? Well, I think everyone that starts to kind of branch out on their own, you know, like uh, myself, moving to a different industry, and uh, David and Jake, my partners that are that are helping me, you know, manage this business and deal flow and everything else. I think the, one of the biggest challenges is sometimes you you almost feel, you know, in some cases you get a little defeated in some days, right, because of all these challenges that are out there. But I think the message here is if you're passionate about something and you see that there is a momentum and traction forward, then I, you know, I would just stay the course and keep your head down and continue with your original business plan. And, you know, I think it is a passion for something. I think if someone feels strongly about something, you know, I think you should explore it. I think you should move forward and give it your best shot to succeed. Yeah, I think it's really well said, especially in our industry. So it's prediction time. We're going to be on the record. New Jersey, just going to give a, a fake date, yeah. is, is set to legalize and adult rec can start, let's say, January 1st, 2022. So I'm just, just, <laughs> a, just a date to put on the calendar. How soon after New Jersey comes online does New York? How soon after does New York come online after New Jersey? Yeah. So hypothetically, New Jersey does it the 1st of 2022, which we know is not going to be a real date, but just as a placeholder. How soon after? Well, I would say by earliest end of Q2. By earliest. You think two quarters after, Helen? 
I agree. But I also am excited because I wanted to work this into the conversation. So I'm glad we, we came back to this is some of the best sport performing dispensaries in Colorado when they first for the like for the last five years, I think has been dispensaries out in the middle of nowhere on the border of Colorado and Kansas. There's no town. It's just they literally parked a dispensary right there. And they've just been killing it because people are coming across the border like we were just talking from Kansas to buy legal legal cannabis, right? Or Wyoming, right? And so I think that New York's a lot more progressive as far as the politics go. And they're going to want to push it through quicker once they see the first few quarters of revenue posted by these dispensaries that are just sitting right across the bridge, if you will, right? And so I'm going to guess quarter three, the end of Q3, beginning of Q4 next year. If, if New Jersey goes legal, because I mean, these rules take a long time and like, okay, yeah. they get the rules in place. You still have to build a facility to grow cannabis and build a retail location to then sell the cannabis, right? It's not like the rules are stamped and they're like, okay, everyone can start selling weed, right? Like, <laughs> there's this whole infrastructure thing too. So it'll light a fire under them if it happens in Q1 of 2022, but you still got to build the the industry, right? It's not like you just turn the lights on and everyone's buying cannabis left and right. Earliest end of Q2, but the latest Q4. It's a large ban, yes. And to Kellen's point, they have to like supply chain has to be created. Like everything has to really start from scratch. Um, it's a medical market, but it's going to be completely different once adult use comes on online. And uh, they're going to miss out on a lot of revenue next year. All right. So optimistic <laughs> Ryan's here. And like, I'm not here. I'm, I'm not accepting any of those responses. I'm definitely wrong, but I, I just can't. I can't imagine. I can't imagine that New Jersey is going to come online and we're just going to sit on our hands. So I'm going to say 30 days after. 30 days. 30 so days aggressive. after. Money <laughs> makes people move. And I think what happens is they get the politicians in the room and they say, guys, this needs to happen. Like there is, I couldn't even possibly imagine how much money New York is going to miss out on if they just let this die. It will be a catastrophic mistake and just a monumental failure across party lines, the globe, whatever you want to call it from a New York standpoint to miss out on what is so much needed tax revenue just because we can't get out of our own way is unacceptable. And I think that gets people to move a little faster. And sure, the supply chain issue is going to have a huge, huge problem. But all the operators already said there's going to be massive shortages. The supply chain is not going to work from the beginning. Even if everything was queued up, we're still going to have shortages. So I'm not really so concerned about that. And I wonder if they don't have the infrastructure in line, if they start kind of being a little more leniencies on some of these medical dispensaries and say like, hey, like you might be able to switch. I don't know if they have these weird exceptions and how that works. But at the end of the day, money moves people. I would say like place a bet on this, and the, you know uh, the losers would take uh, everyone out to dinner. Um, yeah, but, like uh, uh, <laughs> but, but Kellen's in Colorado, so it's gonna be hard for that to happen. But I would say, okay, let's go with this. Then you say thirty days after, so end of the month. There's no doubt about that. Um, twenty twenty two. I say end of Q two. I'll stick with my early projection, right? 
And then, Kellen, what are you, are you going Q3. to do? Q3 or Q4? End of Q3. End but of this Q3. isn't end the prices right style, right? This isn't one of those where 31 <laughs> days and I'm out. It should be closest to the whole. You can have the whole Q1. You can have all of Q1, Ryan. I no. think the important part is, like, if you're listening to this podcast, you should let us know how you feel. Do you think New York is going to miss out on it? And if so, what sort of time frame after New Jersey kind of locks it in? You know, do we think you're going to go for it? So, Jason, before we wrap, where can yeah. our listeners get in touch if they have any questions or they, they have consulting projects? Where can they reach out to you? Audioconsulting.com. Uh, just hit the link, discuss your project and write us a note and we'll get back to you within 24, 48 hours. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time, Jason. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, I'm Gary, and I invite you to discover the Cannabis Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on a Canadian's cannabis culture. I would be the Canadian, and my cannabis passion and culture has been building for five decades. I share that passion for this wonderful plant in every episode, through conversations with cannabis advocates and enthusiasts, stories about the ever-changing legal environment, and some hands-on testing of product in a segment I call Cultivar Corner. The Cannabis Podcast, a Canadian's cannabis culture, one token at a time.